Good evening, folks, and coming to you live here from the 215 in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm Maleka Fruin. I live here in Germantown with my family. The InfoHub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown. Check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org. Now let's start the show. What is participatory defense and how does it work? It uses family and community organizing to work with folks who have been arrested to support them and get better outcomes from the court system. Margaret Robertson, who works with the Germantown Participatory Defense Hub, is here today to tell us more. Thank you so much for joining us, Margaret. Thank you. Margaret, participatory defense, it supports people in a variety of ways after they've been arrested. What are some of those ways? The three main parts of participatory defense are first, information, telling you what is going to happen and what you can do at each step in the process. The second part is helping you present yourself because normally the only thing that's presented in a a criminal case is your history, your criminal history. So we help you to tell the attorneys, including your own, and the court, other things about you, um, about your family, about your work history, about your education, uh, about the things you've done in the community, about any health problems or perhaps even addiction problems you might have and how you are trying to address those problems, about your future hopes and uh, who supports you in the community. Mm -hmm. Because all of these influence the outcome of whatever happens in your case. And finally, we go to court with you. That is dependent upon what's going on in the courtroom. Because some judges will let you in. Some judges are still reluctant. Uh, Some judges will let as many people as you want. And others may limit the numbers who can come in. And it depends, too, because some people are in family court. Um, where things are a lot different or in a criminal court where things are much more open. Mm. So the participatory defense team, they'll follow you all the way to the sentencing of the actual trial or the, yes. the court system. Yes. And why, why is it important that social bi- biography that you were talking about, what you are in the community, things that you do, health problems, things like that. Why is that important for people to know, especially your attorneys? Well, it can make the difference between actually the type of representation you get. Hmm. Because if you are seen as just a list of, of encounters with the law versus a whole person who matters to some people, you can mm-hmm. be treated very differently. I have, uh, I've seen amazing things happen. I'm not saying that every case is dismissed or um, everyone's acquitted, but even if you are convicted, the type of sentence you get can really um, be influenced by who is supporting you. That's good to know. And the other thing that I noticed, um, you had given me some background information about about the hubs. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that they said that they're agents of change and not really service providers or Mm -hmm. not service recipients. 
Can you tell us more about that? What does that mean? Well, you lead. If you don't really want our involvement or if you want limited involvement, nobody is going to come to your house and pull you out the door or insist that you uh, get on a Zoom. It's really how much you want our involvement in your case. And if you're incarcerated, it's going to be led by your family. So we help or we involve ourselves to the extent you want us involved. Margaret, is it possible for you to kind of um, step us through some of the services? Give us a, maybe an example of, of, of a person that, that, is, uh, that, it's in, that has been arrested and uses participatory defense to help them say a family member's been arrested. Okay. My, my favorite one, I think is a starting, a starting point because many people don't understand. I mean, I've even heard of people who've been arrested and then they've been released and they still don't know what happened to them Mm. because the whole thing is so, it's so much of an overload, a sensory overload. First of all, you are not in court. You're on a video. So the bail commissioners are at um, 13th and Filbert in the criminal justice center. And you're, you're probably in a police station. So, and you may be there for many hours, maybe 12 hours, maybe even longer. Um, and then you appear on the screen. There is a defender there from the public defender's office or the Defender Association is the proper name, and then uh, an assistant district attorney. And the bail commissioner, who is not necessarily a judge, is not elected, has been appointed by judges. And you are in a, a different, you know, you're not in the same place. You can't speak to the defender. And um, it's basically you're, you're asked to answer questions. And the amount of interaction is very limited because everything you say can be held against you. Mm-hmm. So if you have a question, you can't ask the defender, should I say this or that? You know, it's, it's just very remote. Right. And, and I think my personal feeling and, and others also is that it's easier, make, easier to make decisions that are harsh when the person's not in the room. Mm-hmm. And after that's over, um, let's say you are released on your own recognizance. That means you don't have to do anything. You can just go and they expect you to come back for the next hearing. Um, and, or you might get sign on bail, which means you don't have to pay unless you don't show up. Or you might get an actual bail amount. Um, but one of the things that happens is that people don't always understand that you need to, you, you will either have an attorney assigned. Um, or you have to get your own, but they don't necessarily understand that you immediately need to contact that attorney. If your preliminary hearing is in several weeks, you don't show up in court on the day of the hearing and expect expect your attorney to do the best job because you need to have explained the case, um, told your side possibly found witnesses and and given your attorney the names of those people. Maybe there's some video. You need to secure the video before it's taped over. Just so many things you can do 
to to help your attorney at that first stage. And uh, you, a lot of people have gotten upset because the attorney doesn't say anything positive about you. Mainly that is just fact finding to find out the charges against you. And mm -hmm. if the attorney knows what questions to ask, that can be very helpful in feeling out the witnesses. But some people are, are really angry and upset because you didn't say anything on my behalf. Well, that's not the purpose of the preliminary hearing. But that can get the attorney-client relationship off on a bad start. Just because this where participatory defense can come in and right, we could explain that? to you if you contact us early in the process, mm -hmm. we'll we'll explain what's going to happen and help you help your attorney. And I heard that a lot of the participatory defense volunteers have actually used the services themselves and um and then become volunteers to help other people. Yes, and especially in the older hubs. In uh, some other, not in every case, but sometimes they've been on the other end. They've been the defendants. Um, they've even served time and they know whereof they speak. So they actually could see where there's parts of this process that are that are confusing that mm -hmm. might that might need you know just more guidance and more help from some of the volunteers that you work with absolutely they the people who have lived experience are really valuable okay so we're at the preliminary hearing what comes next after that after that you will be but I, I have a we have a chart, which I don't have in front of me, that tells oh. you all the steps. Um, at that point, you the main thing you do is stay in touch with your attorney. You support your attorney in, in planning um, and you will be given a hearing that will just tell you what's coming next and at the court. Um, and of course, I can't remember it because I just can't remember it. But there are about eight steps. And that each one is, some require your attendance, others don't, but each one is really important that you show up mm -hmm. unless your attorney tells you not to, because one of the things that are really um, negative in the process is failures to appear. And sometimes it's really innocent, especially recently, because there were a lot of changes on dates and people were not always contacted, but that still can count against you. I'm sorry about that phone. <laughs> oh, that's totally yeah. fine. So, and I'm also assuming that COVID-19 also made this process even more difficult. Yes, because um, the courts shut down for a long time hmm. and people, it's been really, really backed up. So there are people who've been held for much longer than anybody expected to be held. I know one of the outcomes that participatory defense volunteers want to happen is less mass incarceration. So like, how, how are these volunteers helping with those kinds of outcomes? That is really more of a, a policy. Mm-hmm. Um, issue. So we attempt to help people understand the importance of participating in government. And when I, I say that, I mean, who are you going to vote for? 
asking good questions of the people who might be running. And um, I guess we, I, that's not really what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. We might be supporting others who are doing it um, and talking to our um, participants about participating in, in, in democracy. But um, a lot of members are members of other organizations and in those other roles, they might be more active, maybe CADB, Coalition mm -hmm. Against Mass Incarceration or and other type and organizations like that. But um, our role right now is really more concentrating on, on uh, maybe policy through other organizations. Um, for instance, I guess two weeks ago, um, no, last Thursday, I think there was a, um, a rally at on State Road about holding people in conditions that are really very negative. They're not healthy. They don't have enough guards. And so we've been, I guess for just since, since COVID, people have been involved in rallies to urge the uh, courts to let people out and not hold them uh, with high bills unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that, and that's a, an issue right now because of the gun violence. There are a lot of people who want people help for a long time, but because of the lack of guards, it, the circumstances are really horrendous from what, from what I hear in uh, on State Road. What you were saying about the voting makes me think about um, some of the things that we were talking about when we had checked in. We have an election coming up on November 2nd. I see a lot of choices for judges. And I know, Margaret, you've been thinking about this in terms of the, the work that you do, some of the organizing work. What are some of the things that, that folks could be thinking about when they're voting for these judges? Well, um, one of the things is not, that's really almost, it's almost personal. If you hear of a case on the radio, um, often I listen to KYW and they will talk about recent developments. Um, for instance, the police contract um, and city council's attempt to get involved in, in that. Uh, recently a judge said, no city council, you cannot get involved in that. Act 111 doesn't permit your involvement. So <clears throat> if you had some feelings about that, you might wanna know who was the judge involved in that? Is that judge up for retention, which means that you've already been elected once and now you're going to, you're running for another, another term. Um, that's one of the things you can do. You can go to the League of Women Voters. Um, they had, it looks like only one form that I see. Um, it happened in September and it was online, uh, which means that if you know an election is coming up, you need to be aware of it and maybe call the League of Women Voters or call, um, uh, let's see, what else? The Bar Association and ask how I, how I can get information because the Bar Association interviews the judges and it ranks candidates and that, is, that information is available on their website. The League of Women Voters has had these forums, but in the past there have been so, there have been many more this it doesn't look like they're happening like they used to and they used to um come into your neighborhood 
you know, the candidates, including judges, would come into your neighborhood. And I just don't get the sense that that's happening as much. So um, I think the League of Women Voters, the Bar Association, calling up politicians and asking, are there any forums? They will probably be online, which is not good if you don't have internet access. Mm-hmm. But that those are some of the ways. The um, hubs have a website, which you can access through one of uh, West Philly is, is the one that's been working on it more than others. Reclaim is an organization that also has made um, uh, recommendations. Um, Billy Penn has recommendations. Um, on URD, there's an attorney, Michael Cord has recommenda- recommendations. Um, it's, it's, there's really no one site, no one place to go. You pull it all together. I think another thing that's really important is um, the discussion about the ballot questions. Mm-hmm. Margaret, what made you get into this work? I had a family member who was arrested and I had no, I didn't know up from down. I didn't know anything. Hmm. And, and six years in, I heard about participatory defense and um, it was at that time, it started in Norristown and our former defender, uh, Kira Bradford Gray was working in Montgomery County and she brought it to Montgomery County. She she started it up in 2015, and then she left to come to Philly to work as the chief defender here. Um, but she brought participatory defense with her three years later in uh, 2018. And when I heard about it in 2015, I was just thrilled because I knew how I had felt. I, di- I didn't know anything. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I, I the I, I remember asking um, the attorney who's representing my relative, what comes next, you know, when my relative was convicted and the attorney looked at me like I, I'd never heard that question before. I, I didn't know anything. So um, it just, I know how it felt and I didn't want anybody else to go through that. So you started getting into this work and this organizing so that other people wouldn't have to go through what you went through, not knowing right. the different things. Have right. you, is there a, a time that you can think of that the participatory defense hub helped someone in the court system and maybe shifted it to a better outcome? I'm oh, sure you have a few. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess one of my favorite ones is um, a, a, a gentleman who had come into some money but because of a death of a relative. So that's not the best way to get money mm-hmm. and um, spend it on drugs. And that, it, he had stopped, but because of the stress of, of the, and emotion of, of this loss, um, he purchased drugs and the amount he purchased was so significant because he had money to do it, that he was arrested and charged with um distribution and thought he was trying to sell it and um a lot of people came to his aid um i I don't know i think he had over 20 people in the courtroom a combination of family and and people from the hub different hubs several hubs and um 
the judge just gave him house arrest. Hmm. It was crazy. And he had been expecting to get several years um, in state prison. And one of the things that influenced was the fact that he had not been using and he had been caring for children, his children. And one of the concerns was now what's going to happen to them. So and that was really part of the social bio. Express. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It showed the court, um, the his whole humanity. Right. And, and the fact that this was not regular, this was the response, his response to the death of someone really close to him. It wasn't Great. the best response, but it was something right. that people do. Yeah. Wow. That is, that, that is a story that I really, I can really visualize that. And I appreciate you telling us about that. I, I want to thank you so much for being with us tonight, Margaret. How can people learn more about the Germantown Participatory Defense Hub? Well, the number is 267-277-3117. And we are one of seven. So there are other hubs throughout the city. And um, one hub specifically works with young people, I'd say anybody under the the mid-20s and under. And if you wanted to get information about that, uh, the list is on the the Defenders Association website, and that's uh, philadefender.org. Thank you so much. This fall, we're checking in with the Germantown Innovators, and when we come back, Rashid talks with Krista Barfield about growing her new garden. First, we're going to take a short break.
listening to Germantown Community Radio right here on 92.9 FM, WGGT LP, Philadelphia, and streaming online at gtownradio.com, and we return to the next part of the InfoHub Hour. Welcome back to the InfoHub Hour. Now we are chatting with the owner of Farmer John Agriculture and Viva Leaf Tea, Krista Barfield, who has plans to make her move back to Elkins Park. All right, hi, Krista. How are you this evening? I'm great, Rashid. How are you? I'm doing well. I can't complain at all. So before we get into our big questions, just give our neighbors some background on who you are and just give us some details about your companies, Viva Latif, and of course, Farmer Joint Agriculture. Yeah, so my name is Krista. I am a Philadelphia native and um, also from Germantown and still reside here. And I a few years ago, three years ago in 2018, I started um, dreaming about what agriculture is in the city and figuring out ways to improve upon it and um, and really become a major platform for urban agriculture nationwide. So that's what I'm currently building. And I started with my tea company, um, which is Viva Leaf Tea Company. And it is uh, at the crux of us growing our own herbs and botanicals and turning them into amazing products, um, tea and honey. And then Farmer Joan Agriculture is a uh, this company that is focused on redefining what urban people see as farming and what they imagine agriculture to be. And it's just refocusing our, our mindsets on what I believe people should see, um, think of when they think of farming. Talk about that a little bit, because I think I, I understand that dynamic that you just pointed out, because there are some people who believe that like farming is very limited and it's only something that can happen in places like rural areas. Yes. So, yeah, it's really like our, my whole mantra is the reintroduction of farming into the lifestyles of urban people, because no matter what you touch, what you do, what you wear, like literally what you drink, eat, what. The, what you live in, um, everything starts with agriculture and we just don't give it enough credit. And it's simply really because um, when, when we focus in on black and brown people and our roots and indigenous folks and, and at the root of what we did for a living and what we did for our colonizers, it, it came, it was farming. And so it's really us taking back these skills that we've always had and using them for our benefit. And so it's me destigmatizing this trauma of soil um, because during the Great Migration, when all of our ancestors decided to come up to these northern states, they forgot. And not even necessarily forgot. No, I, I will say forgot. They completely forgot uh, about farming and agriculture. They wanted to leave it in the past because it was such a traumatic ex experience attached to that. And so I want us to really dig into that and hone in um, the fact that there's a bag in soil. There is so many ways to actually have a sustainable and profitable business um, with agriculture at the root. And uh, and that's what I'm focusing on. Thank you for that. And I know you brought up, of course, the marginalized communities and black communities specifically and how it's traumatized us in the past. And so, you know, I follow your work, of course, and I think that you do both significant and necessary work. And I love it. Um, and especially in times like now where food insecurity is rising. So talk about kind of that relation between your work and food insecurity. Yes. Yeah, so um, it's all about being sustainable in the sense that, again, going back to marginalized communities, those that have been forgotten is essentially what that is about, what that word means. And um, 
you know, black and brown people always get the the bad end of the stick, if you will. And and our health disparities are much higher than any other racial or ethnic group. And our uh, where we live, you know, we we are dense, densely packed. Um, and it's very different than in other communities where they're where they have much better health outcomes and um and also just tying in my experience, I worked in healthcare for 10 years prior to this. So that's a big thing for me. So when it comes to food security and and the direct correlation it is to health, um, if we if we have better foods, then we're naturally better. Right. Like nutrient dense foods, foods that are packed with uh, that are grown properly so that they're packed with the right amount of nutrition and the grocery stores that we have in our areas and areas that uh, have primarily black and brown people aren't the, of the highest quality or the highest caliber or have the highest budgets. Um, in Germantown specifically, I know a few years ago when they were uh, talking about building the new grocery outlet there uh, prior to that, it was in the meetings, they were talking about it being a Trader Joe's. And so when it became a, a grocery outlet, which no shade to that organization. I heard that the owners are great. Haven't had the opportunity to meet them yet. Meet them yet. Um, but I know it's a black-owned establishment. My greatest hope is that it continues to have a, a high. It operates at a high level because I understand another grocery outlet that I've had experience with was was not that. It was not great, and it had food that was not uh, nutrient nutri- nutrient dense in any way. Um, you know, I just want to, I just want better for us. And so that's what food insecurity really is about not only having access and not living in food apartheid and food deserts, but also having food that's affordable for us and having grocery chains that are, you know, lower in a sense and not, it's not seen as being as amazing in the community. I um, doesn't, doesn't really help that. So yeah, again, no shade to grocery outlet. I want to see that that grocery store really do well and be amazing. Um, but again, it just goes down to us having the options that other communities get to have. And it's not fair that we don't. Yeah. And I love the fact that you brought up the whole idea of food and nutrients, right? Because what a lot, well, something that I read, I forget where I read it at, but you know, I'm a reader. So child, that could have went anyway. <laughs> um, but one thing I read is that, of course, a lot of people don't take the time to actually think about what foods serve their body the best, right? Mm-hmm. And so nutrients are, I mean, food already has so many nutrients that are supposed to like cure us, be medicine for us, and we don't take advantage of that. Yes. Um, and I just thought that, I just always think that that's really, really, really interesting every time I think about it, because I mean, we just, we don't put a lot of emphasis on what we put in our bodies, but I think that as, I mean, I can only speak for myself. So as a black person, I mean, that's just how I've been socialized, right? So you have nothing but McDonald's, fast food restaurants around you. And like you said, those grocery stores that don't necessarily have those like nutritious options or availability or affordability, it becomes hard for us, right? Um, So what have supporters said about your work? Say that once more. What have supporters said about your work? Oh, you know, supporters, what have supporters said about my work? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So I just can't thank the community enough. Um, People have just been very, just super supportive in the sense of understanding why I do what I do. 
and that's not, and then, and then the work still needs to continue because it's, it's about aware, creating and increasing awareness of why farming is so important um, and why it's important as close to the city as possible. And so I think that that's what people really get behind is the fact that I'm not just a, another person that's trying to create a farm. It's, it gets deeper than that and it's more intentional. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about my intention behind why I do what I do. I'm not interested in a farm that is and even an hour away from Philadelphia on a long-term basis. I want it to be accessible and simple and easy for, for people to be able to go, people that look like us especially, but even just urban people, city folks, people from the city, no matter what nationality um, or ethnic background you have, I want you to be able to say, oh, I want to go, I'm going to go by the farm today. I'm going to go by Farmer John today and just pick up some peppers or I'm going to go do this or I might even pick my own peppers. You know, that's an opportunity I also want to provide a you pick area where folks can, you know, get the experience of what it's like to actually walk on a real operating farm that is right a minute with outside of the city or even the ones that the, the smaller versions that we're creating within the city over the next five years. Mm-hmm. All great stuff. All great stuff. So let's talk about your move, right? So I know Farmer John used to be in Elkins Park this up until this past April. So would you mind just talking about the decision to move? Yeah, sure. That was um, that was a tough decision for me because we had built something uh, that was at the very beginning, right? So like I had already begun my CSA and it was very quaint and small and and I loved it because it was my 10 families that I was servicing and most of them came um, were Germantown families, but I had some outliers as well. Um, and it was great because it was just like very personal, you know, creating recipes, me packing the bags myself, uh, me growing the food. It was a very small operation that I had going on. And then this opportunity came for these greenhouses um, in March of 2020. And I was like, okay. And I had just started the company in January of 2020, like actually launched Farmer John. And so March of 2020, to be met with this opportunity to have these new um, not even new, but old greenhouses, but beautiful because of um, just the architecture and how amazing they are. And they're century old greenhouses on this property. And um, and I thought that was an amazing opportunity, something dope for the community. Like, okay, we really get to to really impact food insecurity, but also provide for for chefs and artisans that want to make products, but also have fresh ingredients. Like we get to impact food insecurity and sovereignty and just make sure that everybody is included in this new organic food movement that I want to bring to the Philadelphia region. And so I'm like, okay, yes, we do this and we do it and we're growing things. And it's an old property with a landlord that doesn't want to do too much to it, you know, to really help and assist. And so then we get to winter and um, unfortunately with greenhouses and to grow and to grow through the winter you need heat and there are these gigantic boilers that weren't operational and so we lost all of our crops and that made me really like be met with a decision to like do I stay do I go what do I do and so I called on the community and they paid for us through a GoFundMe uh, for it to be able to pay our rent for the following three months in which we did and to get us through the winter but then by the time march hit if you remember our winter kind of lingered so it was like still colder temperatures we couldn't get 
the mm. greenhouses temp up because they're also so large. I was growing in a 4,500 square foot greenhouse primarily. That was the main one. So I was like, I was really difficult to get temperatures up. And then even in a smaller greenhouse that I was using for propagation, um, excuse me, for germination, just so we can get some seeds to pop open. Um, that was about a, a 1,500 square foot greenhouse that I also was having trouble getting plants to germinate because of the cold. And so I'm like, I think it's just bad energy here. And I still wasn't taking that into account. I was like, I have to be here. We, the community is counting on us. Like, I have to do this. And then my team stopped me. And they were like, you realize that this vision that you have and what you've created thus far is you. You are the vision. It goes wherever you go. And then that's when it clicked. My team had to help me get to that point where I was like, okay, we can go. Like, this isn't it. We can leave. And um. And that was that was like literally revolutionary because in April, that's, you know, we ended up leaving. And then now here we are with a, a brand new property just months later. Mm -hmm. That must. Yeah, that, that really must have been hard. I do remember, of course, following it. Um, but I think overall that you did the right thing. I mean, because sometimes, of course, when there really are just no more outs. I mean, what do you do? Right. And it's true. Like you bring the spirit right? You bring the mm -hmm. spirit. I see it every time, you know, I go on Instagram. Anytime yeah. one of my friends, um, Nicole, speaks about, you know, the experience. And so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much. And so I know, what have you been doing from April to now? It's really just been a bunch of different things. Honestly, I was focusing on this new concept um, that I had been working on called Redefine the Corner Store. And that's really what has been taking my my mind. That's like where I've been focusing most of my attention. I'm like, I know what I want to do specifically in the city for the communities. I want to create these um, farms that are smaller in size, obviously, because they're in the city. So, but we can do multiple of them. So I was working on creating Farmer John's brand as a multi-site farm, which is what we're still doing. But I didn't know that we were also getting new land this soon. So, and that is by the doing of my team. I literally cannot take credit for that. They are the ones that took, you know, everything that we've already put out to the atmosphere, everything I've already done, packaged it and started to do their due diligence in finding us a new location and finding people that really, um, you know, vibe with what I've built thus far. And that, so they took it, they took what I have built and like pushed it out into the atmosphere and, and found us this land. So that's what I've been doing. But with the, the redefine the corner store that I'm still really excited about um, coming to Philadelphia in spring, summer of next year, 2022, it is, um, yeah, creating these nano farms in multiple areas that people can see food growing in their own neighborhood. They can walk by and see food that they actually can partake of, that they can walk in and say like, hey, may I have, or may I cut my own this and also be provided with meals from the food that's growing also right in their neighborhood. So I'm really excited about that project. And the first one is, is going to be in Germantown. That sounds impactful. Redefining the corner store, that actually sounds really amazing. And it sounds very on brand. I mean, it just makes you think. It's like you said, it's kind of this this work takes imagination. I, I could assume. So true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, you've been crowdfunding for a little under a month. And all of the latest location benefits seem to be most serving for the work that you do. So tell us about what you plan to have at the space. 
Uh, yeah. So at this, the new space that we just got also in Elkins Park um, is at the Elkins Estate. And at this space, oh, wow. It's just, there's five acres that we have access to. There's two greenhouses. There is a home, an actual house on this property that we also have access to. And there's a, a spring house and garage for storage. And so like, this is our space on top of a 38 acre property it are that exists and so this is our little corner of that right and um and on this property we're going to have a production farm we're going to have a space where there's some um livestock education people actual having animals for people to to learn about that uh, I, I'm, my goal is to definitely do hemp research focusing on cannabis as a, as it pertains to in so many ways cbd industrial farming of of cannabis which is essentially hemp and and also like digging into my work of destigmatizing that plant because of all of its many amazing uses. And uh, as black and brown people, we we need to destigmatize it um, for our own gain as well. We should be able to, to capitalize financially from this plant in a way that is not seen as criminal. And um, so that work is involved in it. But the, what I'm really excited about on this property, even more than just having this urban farm available for Philadelphians in the region, is the fact that we get to build an urban agriculture educational platform um, within our nonprofit, which is called Farmer Joan and Friends Foundation Fund. And that is focused on teaching urban ag very specifically. So we'll take applications um, nationwide for persons to be able to come and actually live on the farm. And that's where that house comes into play and they'll be able to live on the farm for the season and learn how to work directly with myself and my farm manager to, to run a farm and to create value-added products, which is what Believe Tea Company is. It's a value-added product from uh, the byproducts of the farm. So it's just teaching folks how to do it in an urban environment because it's just not done uh, well, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not done well. And people don't get to see what the power of ur- urban ag actually is. And so that's what we get to do. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that, like for sure. And and having events and just inviting people onto this farm. Yeah, absolutely. I know Elkins Estate is a beautiful place. I've seen it multiple times. It is not far from Philadelphia. Like it's not far from that. No. Like you said, so it would be very accessible to people. Um, and that just, it's wow. Right. It just sounds like a lot. Um, and it seems like you have a lot of preparation to do. Yes. Right now you're in phase one. So what all happens when phase one is finished? Phase one is really um, us getting this greenhouse because you got to look at where we are in the season. We are, it's October. And so November is right around the corner. So we need to get this greenhouse up and running before it gets too cold uh, and then start some production, right? We can really like dig in and start getting um, some things growing on this property. Um, And I'm really focusing on like green vegetables, things that we can, that'll continue to have a be able to grow into the winter through the winter and also get our seedlings started for when they're ready for us to be ready to put them out in the spring at the the larger acreage and actual land um and so that's what phase one looks like is getting that greenhouse together and also rehiring and hiring actual new staff we are going to have so many positions and available um and that job creation part is really exciting um to be able to bring some people on board 
And so tomorrow on the 29th, um, I know you have one last event for your October event lineup. Um, so just talk about the the Seed and Sip Happy Hour that's happening. Yes, Seed and Sip Happy Hour is like, it's a signature event of ours. Um, it's, that's near and dear to me because it is just bringing people's mind and focus to the fact that all these different spirits that you love drinking at happy hour, you know, beer, your wine, everything all starts with agriculture. And it's just making people be conscious of it. Me just saying it to you, like, I hope you're enjoying that amazing glass of wine. Hope you're enjoying that whiskey. You know, why you have that and why you have the opportunity to have that and enjoy that right now is because of agriculture. And so it's just really a, a mental awareness um, while people are enjoying themselves. And then the other component of seed and sip is that seeding part. We actually are having people manipulate soil, put their hands in dirt if they so choose. And they get to take a plant home. You pot your own plant, whether it be a herb or we've done kale um, and a bunch of different things. And you get to take that home with you and watch it grow. And it's something that you did your part in planting. Um, But while you're also enjoying yourself and enjoying farm to fork bites um, from the area's best chefs and all of that. And so it's just really a celebration of agriculture is what it's meant to be. Absolutely. And so before you go, Krista, just give me one thing you learned this year um, or even just over throughout the pandemic, something that you'll never forget. I mean, because we're in a transitional time. And I mean, I've been asking a lot of the different guests. It's just something that I'm interested in knowing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What I've learned is that perseverance is key. You know, continuing to push is always something that's super important. Even when you get uh, pushed down and downtrodden, it's important to get back up if you truly believe in it or are passionate about what you do. Um, and just and also just become impassioned about what you do. I think that's a that's a hard thing as well as is definitely like you said, we're in a, a major transition with the pandemic. And I just love seeing um, people taking their life into their own hands by becoming um, and dabbling in entrepreneurship and whatever that may look like. And no matter what industry you find yourself in or wherever you're skilled at, you're able to create something from that that you can share with the world. And so that is that's definitely something that I've learned is that perseverance is everything thing good stuff good stuff so to our neighbors listening please be sure to check out krista on instagram at farmer john philly and viva leaf tea and you can interact with more of her work at farmer and viva leaf krista it has been a pleasure speaking with you and as i said earlier i look forward to always just hearing more about your growth and the ways that we can support agriculture as a collective and so thank you so much for being with us here tonight farewell friend and we'll talk to you soon Thank you so much, Rashid. You as well. And well, Germantown, it's about that time. So if you have a story that you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com or text infohub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. And we also encourage our neighbors to follow us on Facebook at Germantown Infohub, Instagram at Gtown Infohub, and Twitter at Germantown Hub. This has been the InfoHub Radio Hour. Thank you to our guests for joining us today. And thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging, as always. And until next week, good night, Germantown. Hey.